Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. All right, the Bucks had a bonus day of practice. So not much going on out here. We'll update the injuries, of course, as we go along. Still don't expect to see, you know, guys like Antonio Brown and probably Rob Gronkowski this Sunday, but that could change throughout the week. We've got our mailbag segment today. Lots of great questions on hand. So let's get started, Steve Bursting. Well, we'll start with Ellis, who asked a simple question. After watching the first half of the Bucks season, what's your prediction on the back half and the playoffs? Well, I'm going to head to Vegas. I've got my bundle of money and and my uh, house mortgage ready to burn. Um, if I was that good, if only I was that good. But I will say this. You know, a year ago, it was a much different situation. And what I mean by that is it was a team that was still trying to find themselves. Uh, it was a later bye week. They were 7-5. and five. They still hadn't ironed out a lot of the, you know, sort of, nuances of the offense and and making it fit to Tom Brady. So they did some work over the bye week, and we saw when they came back out, the schedule turned in their favor. Um, You know, they they incorporated more running, uh, more of a running game, more play action, pre-snap motion, all of that. So they were still sort of finding their identity uh, with Tom Brady, and that defense was, was young in the secondary. They still had not grown up yet. It's a different scenario. You have a bunch of injured players. I mean, the biggest thing holding the Bucks back right now is just the lack of continuity, particularly on the defensive end. And to some extent, um, at receiver, because Antonio Brown has been out and he's been such a big piece of what they did in those first five weeks when he was around. So I think that as the health of the team goes is how they're going to go. I mean, they, they certainly have a, a good to great football team. They have not played that well. Um, I don't think they've played a complete game where the offense and the defense, I guess you could maybe say Miami, but that's not a good football team. And so even even then they probably left some points on the board. They've been better at home than on the road. Um, but if you just look ahead to the schedule, I think it turns in their favor again. Now, they've, they've got to go on the road. We saw last Sunday how upsets, upsets can and do happen in this league. Uh, and so, you know, even a wounded and struggling Washington football team you know, can give them fits. They did it last year in the playoffs with Taylor Heineke, who will be quarterbacking again. So you don't take anything for granted. But I just know this. There's two two games on the schedule against teams with winning, winning records, period. You know, and you're talking about the Saints at home, and the Saints certainly have their own issues at quarterback and, and, and otherwise. And then you're talking about the Buffalo Bills, who just lost up the road at Jacksonville without scoring a touchdown. So – I think the Bucks will be favored in both those games. I don't think there's a game they won't be favored in the rest of the way. They play at Indianapolis. They play the Giants uh, on Monday Night Football here at Raymond James Stadium. They have to go to the Jets. And then they have their NFC South opponents. You know, they still got to go to Atlanta. They got Carolina home and away um, two of the last three weeks of the season. But by then, I, I don't expect Carolina to be to be much of a, of a factor. So, really... I mean, they could get on a similar run. Now, I don't know that they're going to go nine and zero because we're, you know, we're just a little less than halfway through it after eight games. But I do think that they could get on a run. And again, depends on the health of the team. Sean Murphy Bunting is going to be back. If not this week, then probably next. Uh, you got Jason Pierre-Paul playing really beat up with a torn rotator cuff and a bad finger. You don't know where that's headed. Uh, Antonio Brown again. That's that's a big mystery as to when he's going to come back. Still in a walking boot. So you can't sustain any more injuries really at, at receiver, even though Scotty Miller is working his way back. So having said all that, I think they make the playoffs. I think they win the division. Um, between the Saints' struggles and the fact that the Bucks now have a one-game lead after what happened on Sunday, I think they go on with their schedule and they win more games than New Orleans does. Now if you look at the rest of the NFC, you see Arizona has Seattle twice. They've got Dallas, I believe. Um, and they've got, they've got the Rams. I think they have to play. Um, I could be wrong about Dallas, but I don't think so. 
And and so, you know, even though they've got a couple, you know, a couple losses um, or one loss, they, you know, they still sort of have home field advantage. They're the number one seed in the NFC. I think that might change. You know, Aaron Rodgers, if he comes back on Sunday and plays against the Seahawks, Russell Wilson will be in the lineup. That's a that's a deal breaker, right? But if he can't go and he's not going to be eligible to even practice or do anything until Saturday at the earliest, then that might be another game that the Packers slip up, and it may cost them home field. So I think they win the division. I think they have at least one home game, maybe home field advantage throughout the playoffs, and then we'll see because, you know, uh, who survives those other games? I mean, the Rams may end up being a wild card. You know, uh, even though the Bucks lost to them, that home field advantage thing, that head-to-head may not even factor because they, they may not win their division. Um, you know, and the same is true with the Saints, obviously – you know, potentially you could lose twice to them and still win the division. So, um, you know, seeding is so important. There's only a couple of buys, you know, but home field advantage is going to be real important. I would not be, if I were the Bucks, I would not be scared or, you know, terribly upset uh, if I had to go to Arizona for a championship game. If that's where I had to go to get to the Super Bowl, I think, you know, Bruce Arians coach there, um, it's going to be a really good football team, great atmosphere, but it's not, one of those weather deals, you know, where you go to Green Bay, it's it's a coin toss. I mean, we, you know, they got so lucky last year, not only because there was limited fans, even though they made a ton of noise, but it was also like a relatively balmy day. There was snow overnight. There was nothing on the ground that day. It was temperatures were probably in the 30s. You're not going to get that, you know, in, in January, late January, February, uh, you know, every year. So and then, you know, with the extra game, uh, all the playoffs were moved back even one more week. You know, it snowed like hell the next weekend up there in Green Bay. Well, that would be when they would be playing the championship game because the Super Bowl is like, you know, the middle of February. So for all that having been said, I think they probably win, you know, uh, 14 games. And, you know, we'll see We'll see if that's enough to get them. I think it'll get them the division. We'll see if it's enough to get them home field advantage. All right, Craig in Vegas had tweeted us, with the rash this season of really bad officiating, is the game getting too fast to the crews, or is the TV angles getting too good? Seems like obvious calls are just being not made and deciding games. Yeah, you know, everybody seems to complain about officiating about this time of year, um, and I'm not sure. I, just, I, I think it's sort of cyclical. You know, clearly replay, and we've talked about replay, how you want to get rid of it, Steve, altogether. Um, the technology is, is you know, superseded what the intent probably was for replay i mean we have Sapruder like frame by frame you know especially in baseball where a guy you know his fingernail comes off a bag for a millisecond and he's tagged out um, i don't think that was necessarily the intent but the intent is to get the call right and so you know the challenge situation is is sort of wonky um you know it, it it's goes upstairs inside of two minutes of every half Scoring plays are always reviewed. So there's a, there's a lot of stoppages and things like that. Um, I, I, here's, here's where I struggle. Like, I don't know if you happen to watch the Monday night game uh, with the Chicago Bears against the Pittsburgh Steelers. And, you know, they, the, the Bears are trying to get the ball back, potentially go down and tie the game or win it. And, they're off the field. They get a sack by a guy that's just been called up from the practice squad. He looks from, what, the the field is 55 yards wide, so he looks from about 20, 25 yards away mm-hmm. at the Steelers bench. Says nothing. Says absolutely nothing after the sack that's going to force a punt. Just kind of stands there and sort of poses at him. Yeah, but he's walking towards the bench. But he's not. And the referee's any, behind him, so he can't see that he He's not getting didn't say any. Yeah, no, 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 no. He's, I agree with not, you. I I'm agree just with saying. You. Like my, this is my opinion. Uh-huh. Uh, he's not doing anything, in my opinion, that's that's inciting physical altercation. He's not directing it at one specific person. He's 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 sort of posing. There's no doubt about it. You know, he's he's kind of mm-hmm. giving a "ha, look at me" um, type of of look to the to the Steelers sideline. Then he turns around, and as he's running back to the sideline, of course, the, the referee is already, Tony Correnti has already reached into his pocket. It looks like Correnti kind of leans into him, and they make contact, and he throws the flag, and he, he gets a taunting penalty. And this is, the more they put on these referees to interpret things like, hey, no taunting, no showboating. Well, what is taunting? It's so subjective and so nebulous. I, I just don't understand in that situation 
for what he did, for what he did, that you would give the ball a first down to the Pittsburgh Steelers. They go down, they kick a field goal in a game that you lose on a last-second field goal. It, it, I think it absolutely cost the Bears the game in retrospect. And I, that's where I have problems with officiating. I think they put too much on these guys. Um, and, I, I, you know, replay is here to stay. I don't think that's going to change because they want to try to get it as right as possible. But I'm one to, to say, you know, it certainly varies crew to crew. Uh, the game is really fast. No question about it. None of us know what, you know, pass interference is. None of us know sometimes what a completed catch is, although we, we're getting a better idea. But, I, you know, I, if, they could, if they could put less on the officials, that would be a good thing. I think these points of emphasis, and every year there's a new one, and this year it's taunting. I don't think that's good for the game. I, I agree. I mean, that call – Monday night was just awful. I mean, in particular, because the punt team was running on for the Steelers, not yeah. one of them reacted to him at all. No, if he was no. talking or saying something, you would have uh, turned head something. Yeah, you saw nothing. They were running on the field. Uh, you know, right. I, I know what they're trying to do with the taunting penalties and that. But and and usually when you change something, you end up going too far and have to pull it back, which is I think what the NFL will end up doing. I get, well, I get the you don't need the guy standing over the quarterback saying something sure. to him. At, you know, sure. at, at, after you, you know, just an, injured, him. an injured player or something like yeah. that. I mean, I, I, you know, that that's a bad look for the game. But by the same token, and I don't, you know, I don't need Randy Moss, you know, straddling a goalpost, you know, that sort of thing. But however, this league has done all it can to take to take the individuality out of the game. Mm-hmm. That's why they wear the helmets. That's why you can't take the helmet off on the field. Because they don't want these guys, the owners, I'm telling you, mm-hmm. they want the product to be the names on the front of the jersey and not the back. You know, that's, that's the bottom line. They, sure, they, do, they, do they benefit from certain quarterback stars, celebrities like Tom Brady or Peyton Manning? Yeah, they do. And that's why they have so many rules to protect the damn quarterback because the quarterback is the game. But aside from those guys who seem to get all the endorsements for State Farm, um, the rest of the league, they want their, their, they have uniform police. What does it say? You have a league where you employ people to go in a press box and sit there and mark down whose socks aren't high enough and then find them for it. I mean, what is that about if not trying to you know, make the game not about the individual players but about the product and, and the teams themselves? So, you know, this, the, the, the no fun league, you know, that you can't celebrate, you can't, can't dunk a ball over the goalpost, you can't, you know, now, now you can have choreographed celebrations, but only to an extent. Like, it, it's, it, it's just gotten to the point where, you know, they're, they're trying, the, the, the fun police have, have kind of taken over now. And I, I don't, you know, I remember game, look, I don't want the headshots and I don't want Daryl Stingley's and things like that that used to happen, right? But it wasn't a bad game in the 90s and the early 2000s and the 80s and the 70s. I mean, you know, the physicality has been taken out completely from the defense. And sure, if you want to say that's safety, I'm good with it. I really am. Um, Learn to play a different way. I think Devin White's struggling with that right now. But, you know, by the same token, it's like, gosh, do do we just have to keep legislating more rules for these officials to decide, you know, you know, is that taunting? Is that, is that over the line? Did he, you know, did he spin the football at his feet? Like, I'm just, I'm over it. Yeah. And I, I look, and I think, you know, HDTV and, and how good the, the television shots are now affects it too. I mean, we of sit course. there and, and judge an official because, you know, you got the spot wrong by, you know, a quarter of a yard because in one sixtieth of a second frame on a television replay, Showed that yeah. he was actually down before this or after that. I mean, one mm-hmm. sixtieth of a second, really. Yeah, uh, you know, we're expecting them in real time to get every call like that perfect. It's no. not going to happen that way. Um, yeah. And so, you know, we'll judge officiating because of you know something like that. You know, for the most part, they get the stuff right. They do. I, I mean, there's some subjective things like the taunting or the those kind of things where it's subjective, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, there's you know. Pass interference. Pass interference. You know, yeah. you'll sit there and go, you know, it sure looks like it's a pass interference on a play at times when you watch it live. Then you slow-mo mm-hmm. it down, and it's really, well, there really wasn't pass interference. Yeah, they kind of, you know, t- 
touched each other in their hands or whatever else, but there was no grabbing, there was no pulling, there was no. But real time, it sure looked like it. You mm-hmm. know, and these officials have to. You know, they don't get the benefit of replay. No. You know what they bothers what bothers the... me about officiating is when replay gets it wrong. Right, they look at the replay and they get it wrong. I remember uh, the call in Green Bay. Um, you know, there was a holding call on Green Bay that was a huge first down for the Bucks, um, and it essentially helped them salt the game away. But then when you went back and looked at it, the guy had his shirt. You know what I mean? Like he grabbed a handful of his shirt, mm-hmm. and and the Packers went nuts and said, "This is crazy. Why are you calling pass interference on their holding defensive holding?" Well, you know, the replay backed up the officials, and more often than not, it does. Mm-hmm. Um, but they have a tough job, and I just think the rules committee is the one that's that's making this harder for officials, and therefore they look bad. You know, when you have plays like you had on Monday night against Chicago. you know the one that's that's becoming more and more is false start on the offense, where there's times, and I, I kind of saw it on Monday night. I, I wish they would have shown it more often. There was a a, a play where they got called for uh, the Bears got called for false start. And to be honest, it looked like the left tackle moved as soon as the ball was snapped. He just moved before all the rest of the linemen. Yeah, that can happen, sure. And, and they called it, and ESPN didn't really show any replays of it outside the one. But it was like, that looked like he moved at the snap. Just the rest mm-hmm. of the offensive line was a tick behind him. Oh. And they call you know, and that's such a bang, bang play. And, you know, that's a tough play. If, if nobody else moves and one does, you kind of go, okay. Well, and that's that gets back into the argument of what's reviewable. You know, mm-hmm. why why isn't every play reviewable? Except the games would last five hours. Yeah. But mm-hmm. you know, a holding penalty that they miss can absolutely change an entire game. You know, if the quarterback's able to unload a, a touchdown pass when the guy has his hands around, you know, the defensive tackle that's about to rip the quarterback's head off. You know, and he's bear hugging him. And if they miss that, it's not reviewable. Yep. So. A lot, lot of things wrong yeah. with it, obviously. But I, I think the speed of the game is so much faster, and, oh, and that does make it a lot harder crazy. on the officials, and you've added a lot more for them to watch and, and take care of. So, Right. It's not like you're just going, hey, we're going to turn and hand the ball off to Jim Brown 25 times today. Mm-hmm. You know, when you go back and look, even in the 80s, how football was played, you know, if, if you know, when Tom Brady started playing, if, if, if he threw for 200 yards, it was a big day. I'm not kidding. 220, 255 yards was a huge day for Tom Brady early in his career. And that's the way it was in the NFL. Mm-hmm. All right, Les sent us a tweet. He said, I sent this in a few weeks ago. Could you please answer it again? Forget losing to Georgia and Alabama, but losing to Kentucky, LSU, and South Carolina in one year and getting blown out in all three? Got to be on the hot seat right now, right? Well, I yes, it's definitely hot. but it's And we're referring to Dan Mullen, by the way. Dan Mullen. I think, and this question was probably sent in before they lost to South Carolina. Um, no, he said South Carolina. No. Oh, he did. This okay. was sent in right after the game, I believe. Oh, okay, all right, gotcha. Yeah, of course he's on the hot seat. I mean, he's down to his last straws. I mean, I you know, I think we talked about this. I they're they're clearly going to give him, you know, this is his you know Mulligan for Mullen is what it should be called. I kind of like that, the Mulligan, <laughs> the Mullen again. Um, you got one shot, okay, to try to get this right with your coordinator and, and or your offensive line coach and or recruiting. You've got one shot. And, you know, this year they're pretty much going to say, you know what, it, it, it is just that. It, it, it wasn't a good year. Things aren't going the right direction. Changes have to be made. You got one chance to fix it on your staff and in recruiting. And next year is going to be it. You know, if, if he starts out – um, they lose, you know, an early game someplace, uh, continue to not be competitive against teams like Georgia, you know, trip up against a, a South Carolina or a Kentucky again, even though I don't think Kentucky's all that bad. You know, you have anything similar to this next year, he'll be fired. I mean, I don't think there's any question. But I think that they're they're allowing him this one grace, you know, of, okay, you know, it's your staff, it's your problem, your mess. Go fix it. We'll give you one shot. And this is it for him. And I don't think it matters what happens the rest of the year. Although, I mean, it could – listen, think – I always say this to my kids. Hey, things can always get worse. <laughs> don't don't think this is the worst day that's ever happened to you because, believe me, I've lived a while. It can always get worse. So, you know, if they go out and, and you know, what you got to look for is are, has he lost the locker room? 
And, you know, are the players, have they tuned him out completely? Is, is the effort not there? Now, he says the effort was there, you know, all the way to Friday, but then on Saturday it didn't show up. Well, those three hours are the ones that count. Um, but if you start to see a team that's checked out, then that, that might hasten a, a quicker response from Florida. But I don't think they're there yet, and, and they've got winnable games, obviously, this week and, and, and even going forward. We'll see how they do against Florida State, which might be, you know, you go out and get hammered by Florida State, which isn't a great Florida State team, but you go out there and give up 45 and, and get, get bashed like that by your in-state rival, that could leave even a more sour taste in people's mouths. So I don't, I don't think that he's completely out of the woods, but I, I do think this is a sign that says, okay, we're going to give you a chance to fix this, and we're not going to wait till next year. You know, let's, let's, let's cut the bait now. And, 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 you know, let's let's see if we can start to move forward with some new guys and some new blood. And they can fix this in the offseason with coaches, and then that's it. So it's very hot, very hot under his seat at Florida. And I, and I don't think – the other thing is I don't think Mullen has any answers. You know, I, I think this is sort of a – I mean, he should have obviously fired Todd Grantham, Grantham last year. He didn't do it. That was a mistake. It's been proven to be a mistake. And, you know, I, I think now it's just sort of – I think his hand has been forced. You know, I, I think it's like you, you just – Florida fan wants something to be different. They want changes. They want you to give a damn. And, you know, this is unacceptable and, and you know, some someone must be fired. It's the old you know, Trump show. You, know, you go to the boardroom and then you would be fired. But he might be the one that ultimately pays the price. Let's see. Let's see how they play. Let's see if he loses the locker room. I didn't like his press conference the other day. He just seemed like he was completely out of answers. And it's like, well, this is what we got to do. All right. Well, now that you've done it, let's see if he gets any better. But it seems to me like he's back next year. But there's still a couple weeks to change that picture as well. All right. Tommy had tweeted us. When Brian Elliott started on Saturday, it was his first game in 12 days. How many starts do you expect him to make this season so that the Lightning can keep Andre Vasilevsky fresh throughout the season? You know, I, I mean, usually they, you know, obviously the back-to-back, Steve, you're, you want you want to see Elliott mm-hmm. play. Um I don't know if there's a if there's sort of a. I mean, Vasilevsky is one of these goaltenders that plays a lot. You know, probably more than the average guy. And I think he I think he likes playing that much. I mean, the big cat is still young and, you know, strong like bull. Or and, and you know he just he kind of seems to get better with work. But um, you always want to you know make sure that the you know the guys stay healthy and rested. So I haven't gotten a feel for how they how they you know the better Elliot plays um the more likely you would be you know willing to to get through some games without Vasilevsky but I I mean I think it's I think the lightning have been I could be wrong about this but do they not use their backup goaltender as much as some teams Vasilevsky likes to work and he tends yeah. to be better when the more he plays right. Um, right when he gets a lot of time off he tends to be a little rusty the first game or two back Mm-hmm. Um, what's going to affect this more is I think you're going to see Vasilevsky get a lot more work early in the season. Okay, late in the season he won't. And here's the reason: the schedule before the break in February, and they take three weeks off this year in February for the All Star Game and then the Olympics. The schedule going into the All Star break from now through then, I think they have four four more back to backs between now and February. Mm. It's not a lot. The games are pretty spaced, spaced out. Mm-hmm. March and April, the games are compressed. There's a lot of games, and I'm just going to try to count them up real quick. 7, 10, 13, 14, 15 games in March oh, wow. in 31 days. Well, April's even worse. The day. And, you, and you're coming off, and that, now that's after the Olympics, correct? Yes. And so he's going to play a lot yes. of hockey over yeah. in, in for Russia in the Olympics. In obviously. April, there's 16 games in 29 days, the first 29 days of April. Mm. So you're talking 31 games in just under two months, March and April. That's a lot, yeah. And the schedule was done this way, I believe, because there was still a – and the schedule came out, there was still a question whether they would go to the Olympics. And not that the owners and players had negotiated that the players would go. It it all came down to COVID protocols and and how they were going to handle that and and going to China for it, et cetera. You know, if China required everyone to quarantine for two weeks before you came over there, that was going to be impossible for the NHL. Um, things like that. So there wasn't 100% certain. So had that break not happened, a lot of those games in March and April, I believe, would have been moved up to February. 
So the back half of the schedule is compressed big time. Like I said, just a quick count was what thirty one games in two months. Um, that's a that's a brutal schedule, and you're gonna I mean, you're gonna be watching the Lightning every other night come March and April. So you're, I think you're gonna see a lot more Brian Elliott there. Plus, it, it may depend on how how far Russia goes in the Olympics with Vasilevsky too. How much does he play in the Olympics? Um, he's going to be, you know, going over there. If they go all the way to the gold medal game, you know, he'll play more there and maybe get more rest when he gets back too. So I think you'll see a lot more Andre Vasilevsky early in the season. You're going to see a lot of Brian Elliott late in the season. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And, and, uh, and I think you're right. I think Vasi likes to work, but they're going to have to manage his time a little bit more the second half. And, you know, you're also anticipating a long playoff, you know, run where he didn't take any games off, mm-hmm. you know, um, he plays every game. And every minute of every game. I mean, remember two years ago, it was like five overtimes. <laughs> yeah. He just kept playing. So um, that that seems to be his strength. But it's good. It's good to get an early win, you know, if you're Elliot. I mean, that was, that was nice. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. Like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash people today. All right. Michael tweeted us. What would you change about the game of baseball? Could be anything. Salary floor, pitch clock, extra innings rules, etc. What would you change? You know, I'm I'm at the point where I'm I'm willing. They do it in tennis. I, I'm almost willing to have an automated strike zone. They're testing almost, it now. They're testing what in the Arizona yeah. Fall League, I think. And yeah, I'm I'm kind of there. I'm kind of there. And I don't know. I don't know that you take the guy from behind home plate because you obviously might have plays at the plate that you have to cover. Um, it might be like, and I hate this. In, in a sense, but it might be like tennis where you get so many challenges, you know, per game, per at bat. I, I don't know how they're going to do it, but, or maybe it's just automatically corrected. You know, like the guy calls a ball and you go, no, it's a strike. Or you just wait and see, and it's automated, and, and the umpire has a buzzer and it tells him whether that pitch was a strike or not, and he calls the game, but it's actually being called electronically. However, they have to do that, I'm willing to do it because I see too much inconsistency. Um, with home plate umpires, and not just during the regular season, but also in the playoffs. There were some egregious, egregious missed strikes, called strikes, balls that were not strikes, clearly, um, in, in really important games. And, and every at-bat, every pitch is important when you get to October. And I, I just, you know, you have the ability to pretty much eliminate that, you know. Is it perfect? Is the box perfect for every guy? Is it adjustable? You know, like there's probably some things that aren't, you know, but I think it's more perfect than what the umpires can do. Um, and how that changes the game, does that, you know, does that mean pitchers, you know, can't get the strike, you know, two inches off the edge and, and therefore it's going to be a more offensive game? Maybe, you know, might lead to more more scoring, which is never a bad thing, I think, in, in the game of baseball. But, you know, especially with all the specialists and the analytics that are, you know, trying to work against that. But I'm, I'm ready for that. I, I, I think, I think in in two thousand and twenty something that we're we're ready for an automated strike zone. If if the testing all does, you know, the one thing I don't know how it works, and and I haven't really seen how the testing's going is, you know, the strike zone is an arbitrary thing anyway, from what the armpits to the knees essentially. Right. So Jose Altuve strike zone is different than Aaron Judge's. It's got to be adjusted. And how to does the how does that? How does the system work with that? And I, I don't know the answer to that. So, um, right. but if, if testing shows it works, then I, I have no problem with that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I I'll say I can't stand replay. Where this is what bothers me about replay more than anything. It's it's not the concept of replay. It's the hold the game. Let me go check my video room to see if I want to 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 do this yeah. and then so 30 to 45 seconds then i say i want to then the officials go over to check the play and they're yeah. in new york's just watching the same replays that the team saw it's yeah, like, the umpires are not making that decision they're telling no. them what they're seeing in new york and then the guy puts his hand up or or not but it's you like know what i mean if your guy steals second and they call him out and he says i'm safe you ought to be challenged it has to be right on the spot 
Yeah. I'm challenging it now. Yeah. Not this. Hold on. Let me go to the video monitor for 30 seconds. Oh, right. no, no. We're good. Go ahead. Have we got a good shot of this? You know, you know, yeah. I just, I just, that's what bothers. It's not replay. The idea of replay doesn't bother me. It's the, yeah. the way it's the execution executed of it. is that, yeah. you know, that we, we're going to pause the game for 30 to 45 seconds so that my video room can go check on it. You know? yeah, it's just stupid watching four umpires go over there and two of them have a headset and somebody's holding a, a you know communication while some guy in New York is actually making the decision to, to well, tell them, but, just make the damn decision. But you know what? It's probably better than the, the football guys who go to this, you know, iPad to, to watch they a video. To, I mean, they got to watch it. Like, I mean, they're the, you know, it's well, like, but, hey, Joe, do you see this? But, but you know, the guys in New York, like for baseball, they're on 70-inch TVs watching, you know, this. Well, you got, how you fast? Got, you got an NFL seriously. guy looking at a, at a, at a iPad going, hmm, let me see where that ball is spotted or was, you know. I know. And, and how fast do, does everybody in the stadium and, and, and or certainly at home know, no, no, he's out of bounds. But somehow it takes another three and a half to four minutes. You know what I mean? Like, if, if we can see it, if, if 80,000 people can see it on that electronic scoreboard, you guys shouldn't be in a huddle for five minutes. You know, but that's I agree with you. I think the execution yeah. of it's dumb. And I'm kind of torn on the idea of getting rid of shifts. Because I, I think you should be able to adjust your defense however you want to. You know, well, you play four outfielders, move five infielders in at times, et cetera. But, man, I'd like to see more base hits. I'd like to see more runners on base. I'd like What's to- interesting about that is that you can open an entire field. The whole left side of the infield is wide open. But, but they want to get rid of the shifts, right, because that's too many analytics. It, it reduces the offense. But rather than the players adjust and say, I'm going to learn how to hit the ball through that gap between second and third. I mean, that is a gulf of people. Sometimes they don't even play an outfielder over there. Like, I'm surprised to some extent that players are still trying to launch everything, you know, and, and, and hit it through the shift. Like, you can get them out of the shift <laughs> or you can punish them for it, you know. There is an answer to this, and the answer is learn to hit the ball the other way. But how many how many big leaguers, and this is what it, it takes years to make these adjustments. How many big leaguers are really working on their you know none learning something new at the plate? none. I mean none. Uh, there's a handful, and they're probably the best hitters in the game. Yeah, you know that are you know willing to put the time and effort into. Could that. you see I mean, Tony I mean, Gwynn? Ever could since you see Tony Gwynn Tony. playing against the shift? Are you kidding? Oh, me? he'd be, eat that up. You couldn't Rod shift Carew, against them. You couldn't shift against them. Ted Williams. I mean, like, you know, back in the day, I mean, Pete Rose. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Come on. But but ever since McGuire and Sosa and then Barry Bonds afterwards. Chick digs a long ball. You know, it became everyone at a young age was, I'm trying to hit a home run. I'm trying to hit a home run. Yeah, I can't blame and, them. That's and, how you get paid and, in this well, game. That's how you get the fame. That's how you get paid. That's how you get the stats. That's how you get, yeah. you know, all all that stuff with it. So, yeah. You know, it starts at it starts at the the kids' age. It does. It's just like pitchers that now the thing is not pitching and getting people out is velocity, velocity and spin rate. Yeah, but but the biggest change in in mm-hmm. baseball on both sides yep. has been we're measuring the velocity off the bat, and we're measuring the velocity on every pitch. So every guy at age fourteen is out there throwing maximum effort yep. on every single pitch. So what happens? Why are the Tommy John? In my opinion, it's because the way the, the emphasis on velocity that you have bodies that aren't yet mature enough, and and frankly, maybe nobody can go out there and throw a ball overhand as hard as they possibly can every single pitch. Well, it's such an unnatural motion anyway. Oh yeah, I mean we'd all be you know our, our arms are built to go the other way. That's why softball pitchers can throw both ends of a double header. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know. From Little League on, it used to be the breaking balls, and all oh, the breaking balls, and, and that's a thing. But now I see these kids, you know, if you could throw 90 at 18, you were probably going to get drafted. Now you got to throw not 91, 92, 94, 95, 96 at 18, 19 years old. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy what these kids, because I know them, they're in college, the guys that I know, and they're the parents, they have to get mid-90s to get drafted. It's crazy. Where's Greg Maddox when you need him? Oh, I'm telling you, man. Where's the art of pitching? I mean, baseball, it's just about changing speeds and location. I mean, the, I've stood up there. I know. It's like if I know you're throwing hard, that's not – I mean, 
yeah, does does 98, 100 miles an hour work? Sure it does. You know, that certainly is in the back of your mind. Um, but it, it's not. It's just about changing, you know, the speed of, of the baseball and the location, and you're trying to mess up the hitter's timing. That's all hitting is, is timing. So, it, you know, to me... They've lost the art of pitching, and now it's just how many how many fastballs can I throw you know through through somebody? And I I hate that about the game. I I think we've lost a lot you know a, a lot of that nuance to baseball, which kind of goes back to the umpire and the and the strike zone thing. But yeah, Greg Maddox, um, I don't know. I he'd still get people out. I mean, you know. Well, the question is, will he ever make it to the big leagues? But he might exactly. That would be the question. Like you know, are we drafting a guy that doesn't throw ninety, barely breaks ninety miles an hour? Like, can this really work up I mean, here? I mean, you know, how many Ron Yarbroughs are in the league? Not many. Exactly right. Exactly right. And they, you know, and, and the Rays are looking for those guys too. And and so, hey, we don't need you to go seven. We need you to go four. We need you to go five, four and a third. Give us all you got every pitch. You know, so that part of the game I don't like. In my day, I sound like the get off the lawn guy, but I'm telling you, I'm telling you, the game's been played a long time, and you can get hitters out without having to throw 90, 98 miles an hour. You can. All right, Ollie had uh, tweeted us, and he's uh, in the a Bucks fan in the UK. He says, uh, "I know that the Glazers are pretty much universally despised by most Manchester United fans over here, despite the relative success under their ownership." Obviously, many differing circumstances between the two, but interesting to know what opinion local Bucks fans have of them. I know for a fact football fans, meaning soccer, he says, are deeply passionate and demand success more ruthlessly than most sports, so I'm intrigued to understand the opinions the Bucks fans have or had of the Glazers, or if their ownership's even considered a major factor for NFL fans. Thanks in advance. I think ownership is a big factor, but I, I also think that uh... – you know that when it comes to the Glazers, uh, you know who who have always, you know, taken a, a real back seat, like publicly. Like they, uh, I mean, for example, I would talk to Joel once a year, and that's the only access we have ever. You know, see him around, wave at him, friendly, and all that. That's it. Um, so they're not Jerry Jones. You know, they're not Bob Kraft. Uh, they certainly haven't won like those guys. Although Jerry hadn't won anything in twenty five years. It's interesting because um, I've been to London and I've and I've read those stories when the Bucks would go over there. It would, they would inevitably they want to talk to me and there'd be a story that says Glazers are taking all the money from Manchester and they're putting it in the Bucks, you know, and all this stuff. And then you'd read just the opposite. It's like all they care about is Manchester and not Tampa. They don't, you know, twelve straight losing seasons or twelve straight seasons without playoffs. Nobody cares, you know. That Manchester is their biggest holding. Why, you know, so. I think the fan bases are sort of look at each 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 other's fan base and sort of like one eye open. But you know, at the end of the day, um, they've won two Super Bowls now. You know, I've always felt like they wanted to win. Uh, I you know, it's with all the firing of coaches, that's a recipe for losing. But I think they made those changes in trying to find the right guy, the right formula, the right quarterback. You know, I've never sensed that it wasn't important to them. I think it is. I think they've given most coaches that come in here, look at the facilities, uh, look at the free agent money, look at the signing bonus, look at the cash on hand, all that stuff, and say, we've got everything we need to to win here. Um, Now, you know, is winning as important as revenue? You know, they kind of go hand in hand. I mean, because, you know, when you don't win, no one's coming to your games. And so you want those sky suites and, and club seats to be sold out. They've invested money in that stadium. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they've sunk their own bread into it. Um, it's a business. You know, business is good. It's really good right now. So if they don't, if they don't go to the playoffs every year, are they, are they crestfallen? No. Um, you know, they're, they're like a lot of owners in the NFL. I don't, I, I don't think – I wouldn't rate them with the Bob Crafts of the world. You know, um, but I, but, but they, they've got, you know, look, they got, they pulled off the greatest coup ever, right? They got Tom Brady at 43 to come here mm-hmm. after 20 seasons in New England and win and win and have a team that was good enough to win with his help. So I don't, I don't think they're bad owners. I don't think they're exceptional. 
Um, but but history will tell you not many franchises have more than one Lombardi Trophy, and some have none. I think, and, and look, I moved here in 2010. Right. And those were some pretty lean years. Right. I, I, think the, I think the Glazers are ownership group that wants to win, mm-hmm. are willing to do what it takes to win. I think so. They're big game hunters. They've struck out a Definitely. lot on that. I mean, from they Bill have. Parcells, Chip Kelly. Chip Kelly, yeah. I mean, you know, they're big game hunters. Yes. And, and they, they, they want I mean, look at what they did. You know, Tom Brady here, Cristiano Ronaldo at Manchester They United. want to be relevant. Yeah, no, no, they no, want to no. be relevant. They want to be in the discussion. Yeah. I think the Glazers' perception in this market is tainted some because of the three years under Raheem Morris when the NFL did not have a salary cap or a salary floor. You're absolutely right. And they didn't spend money. You're it was obvious right. they, they were they were trying to save money, whether it was to pay for Man United or whether just to pocket money because we've got three years we can do You're this. You're absolutely right. That That's there was, some, there was three pants. years that they basically tanked. Yep. And I agree. It's one thing if you tanked and came on the other side winning. They didn't. You know, like in baseball where, you know, teams will tank to get draft picks or, you know. Sure. And, you know, things like the NHL, it's not necessarily tanking, but we're going to play a lot of young guys. We're not going to spend. We're going to develop. That's what the Astros yeah. did before their stretch now. Um, you, know, you know, things like that. I, I think their reputation here, and I think it's changed over the last year or two because it of Tom Brady and hit when they fired, yeah. When mm-hmm. they fired Gruden, Dungy was kind of like a whoa, mm-hmm. you know. But then they got John. They won a Super Bowl. When they fired Gruden – uh, for those three uncapped years, and they had purchased Man U, and they had a ton of debt retirement, it, you make a very difficult argument say they wanted to win at any cost. Like that, mm-hmm. they wanted to win at the least amount of cost. Now, I will say that I think there was some understanding that John was going to want free agents and he was going to spend a lot of money, and they didn't want to do that because of all the reasons we just said. Um, but I think that hurt their perception. Mm-hmm. I do, you know, you go 12 years without a playoffs, what do you expect the fan base to think about you? You know, but they had a ton of coaches and it's sort of like not that they don't know football. They didn't know anybody who knew football. You know what I mean? Like they they couldn't find the right people. Um, it, you know, did it make sense to go from Shiano to Lovey? Yeah, kind of. But then when you get into Lovey and you dig deeper, you realize eh, his time has passed. He doesn't know any coaches. He's not, you know, um, he's kind of making it a family enterprise, you know, and then. Well, you even wonder when they hired Shiano. You know, they were going for Chip Kelly. They thought they had a Chip. deal. Yeah. You know, yeah. Did they, they got talked into Shiano a little bit. Did they just go to the next college coach? Or, you know, how did well, that... I don't know he, if he was their second choice. I, I don't know. He came out of nowhere because right. nobody was looking at him at the time. It was interesting at the time because the big fish, pun intended, was Jeff Fisher. Everybody, you know, that was the, the hot name at the time. <laughs> and he ended up, um, you know, being hired by the Rams. And... You know, he Shano was actually nobody knew he was interviewing from Rutgers. He was in the living room of Stan Kroenke when Fisher called to accept the job, and Shano goes, "Take me to the airport." <laughs> and uh, you know, Kevin Demoff, who was a friend of Mark Dominic's, was like, "No, no, no, no." You know, he's just got to take this call. Like, I know, I, don't, I know who that is. I know I'm not going to get the job. So he went back to Rutgers, but then Demoff called Dominic, Mark Dominic, the GM of the Bucks, and said after Kelly had left him at the altar, which. You know, there's a list of runaway brides. Of course, Parcells did it twice. That that you know, I've got a guy for you, and he was out of central casting. You know, disciplinarian, toes on the line, blowing the whistle, and all that. It just didn't work. So then you go, you know, you go from that to Lovey Smith. You know, more of a dungy like guy, proven NFL coach, won nine and a half games a year for all those years in Chicago. Um, you know, that, that kind of didn't work. So now, you, you know, you want continuity for the young quarterback. And you, so you stick with Dirk Cutter, give him a chance. That doesn't work. So now you need a proven head coach. You need a guy that's done it before, knows what it looks like, can save the quarterback. Let's get two-time coach of the year, Bruce Arians, out of CBS. And you can kind of see, like, it wasn't for a lack of trying. It's just, you know, they they sort of – you get the opposite of what you just had. And – Firing the coach and firing the quarterback is a recipe for loss and disaster in this league, and that's kind of that's the wave they rode for ten years. But it wasn't for a lack of caring, except those uncapped years, which I think left a bad taste in people's mouths. All right, with Veterans Day coming up, Adam had uh, tweeted this to us on nine eleven, and we kind of missed it. So, 
he and I went back and forth. I said we'd ask it for Veterans Day. But he says, I always think of how lucky we are to have sports and what it means to everyone. There are moments like George W.'s amazing first pitch or Whitney, Whitney Houston's Star Spangled Banner that caused goosebumps. What's the most notable event that you've covered or watched live where external events made the sporting event that much more meaningful? Hmm. Great question. Um, well, were you at the Whitney Super Bowl? Yeah, I was. I was going to say I was there. It, to me, that's the the biggest my goosebumps ever got. Um, simply because the world was changing, and that's the first time I stood outside any game, any any sporting event, and had to wait to go through a, line, a security line. That had never happened before in my lifetime as a journalist or anyone else. And the golf war was going on. We didn't exactly know where that was leading, you know, um, or how long it would last or what kind of conflict it really was. But they hand out these, you know, little American flags to every fan that goes in. It took us hours to get into the to the press box, into the stadium, lines like you've never seen. Again, it was striking because it was, you know, security – we were on high alert. There was Black Hawk helicopters <laughs> buzzing the stadium, you know, and, and you thought, oh, my God, could there be an act of terrorism here? Like, what are we? But there was such unification, and that's the case a lot of times that there's a military conflict around the world involving the United States. We all know that. Um, once you got in there and you saw all of those flags, you know, and they were playing two teams that wore red, white, and blue on top of that, the Bills and the and the Giants. Um, and it was such a great game, you know, Scott Norwood missing the kick and all of that, the teams going back and forth, the bills, you think about history, you know, if the bills had won that game, how, how their history may have changed, but that national anthem by Whitney Houston, which to this day is still the greatest rendition I think ever. And has you know, been proven with the number of recordings that have been downloaded, et cetera, um, in front of a Florida orchestra with a flyover, you know, those, um, from McDill, the, uh, the the fighter jets or whatever, that that's probably the moment that I remember the most in terms of patriotism and just sheer like wow, you know, your heart is full. You know, everybody was sort of unified at that moment, and and yeah, I think I think for my life, I that it, they'll be hard to rival anything quite like that. Now I've been to some events that didn't have anything to do with national pride that were just cool, you know, like Michael Jackson at the Super Bowl and the Rose Bowl and things like that and the press conferences and, and you know, um, you know, Prince in Miami, you know, singing in a downpour, Purple Rain, uh, you, know, in, you know, in his press conference where he played three songs. I mean, there's there's been a lot of different moments like that. but But, yes, for sheer, you know, the world has changed. And and there was some some of that too after nine eleven because they you know they canceled games. Well, and it was um, I remember I was at the first Reds game, the home Reds game in Cincinnati because that's where I was at the time. Yeah, you know afterwards, and, and it was that feeling of should we even be here? Yeah, yeah. And you know, does this game matter? And and, and you know, mm-hmm. and all the tributes the team did and and the players and it was yeah. wonderful and, and great. But there was that that feeling of should we be playing sports and right. you know if you remember after the time it was we're not going to call athletes warriors anymore or heroes yeah. and yeah. and that's all gone back of course but you know it was a, you know it felt like sports was smaller than everything else at that point it was and there was there was another game and the patriots won the super bowl in new orleans it was after 911 and they were unfurled banners of all the victims of of uh of 911 mm-hmm. and it was you know, overwhelming. You know what I mean? The number, the amount of names, and I think almost three thousand of them. I mean, yeah, yeah. I could be wrong about this, but I think, um, oh, who's the? I'm going to miss the lead singer. I'm going to get this wrong. Uh, Sting. Not not. Who am I thinking of? <laughs> not Sting. Um, Bono. Bono. Thank you. Bono was singing. Um, and, and it was just you know that was another one. And I think I think the lead that day was we were all Patriots, you know, that day. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Patriots won the game against the Rams, I believe. I think that was in New Orleans, um, if I'm not mistaken. But wherever it was, the nine the Super Bowl uh, after nine one one was was another one of those patriotic, holy cow, bigger than bigger than a game moment. I think so. Yeah, those those two stand out. Yeah, I can think of some others just watching on TV. I mean, he mentioned the George W. first pitch. Oh, that's crazy. Um, the first game back at the Superdome. 
after Katrina. Yes, yes. And Steve Gleason with the block Steve punt. Steve Gleason, and, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, that was a cool event. Now, I wasn't there, obviously, covering it live, but just to watch on television. Yes, yes. You know, where it was it was more than just the game. Bigger than the event, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those no, things, those are, those things are like that are, are, you know, give you goosebumps even thinking about it today. Yeah, and that's, that. you know, there is a unific unification of sports sound like george bush just a unification and um, strategery some trees exactly education um in espanolo but yeah it's it, it there are you know that's that's what i like about sports is that you know for three hours whatever the length of the event that like people will wear their home jerseys or colors and they're all rooting for the same team which Maybe once they leave the stadium, that's not the case, or it doesn't feel like it anymore. In a divided world that we live in, um, I think I think sports does bring people together, and it doesn't matter what your, you know, what your ethnicity, what your, you know, you're you're high fiving with complete strangers because your team down there is is you know putting it on the field and you're you're, you're celebrating um, their victories, and and to me that's that's what's cool about it. You know, um, it's an escape from that and. Or or should be, uh, most likely. But but yeah, I mean, the, I, those are those are good ones, Steve. Those are good ones that uh, that we just we just mentioned. All right, so tomorrow we'll talk a little college football. Of course, the Florida Gators uh, and Dan Mullen had their news conference. Some changes on the coaching staff. You know who was there? Matt Baker, our college football writer with the Tampa Bay Times. We talked to each week. So we'll get into that, and the Bucks will continue preparations, of course, for their game on Sunday at Washington FedEx Field which is actually, uh, I think, in Northern Virginia. But regardless, the Washington football team, uh, we'll see who's available if we're going to get some more players back for that one. I know the Bucks are hoping for better help. As they begin the second half of the season, we'll have a chance to talk to Tom Brady as well um, and see if he has anything, anything at all to say about Aaron Rodgers or COVID because he really didn't go there with Jim Gray the other night on the podcast. So thanks for listening. Great questions. Uh, you can send those to us always. You don't have to wait for a mailbag. Uh, you can reach us anytime on Twitter at NFL Stroud or at Sports Day TV. You can email it to me um, at rstroud at tampabay.com. For Steve Bursnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. 